All right, here we go. Episode 98 of Nothing to Say, the fans podcast. Such a good time for sports, honestly, with basketball coming back, although it never really felt like it left. I don't know if that's anybody else, but it never really felt like it left. Football is just starting to get back up in the swing of things. Baseball is closing in on the postseason. There's just so much to talk about, and I'm so glad that we have a show to talk about those stuff. So, Sam, I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Not only are the three major sports of the U.S. are coming back, but also Premier League soccer is coming back as well. So the, the, the world is almost coming into sports as we know it right now. It's, it's a good time of the year, man. Just another case for why the months of September through, like, December. I've always said – October through December is my favorite time of the year. And maybe that coincides uh, purposely with the fact that pretty much all sports are on at that time. But that's just my favorite time of the year. And we're getting close to it, and I'm super excited. So Super excited. We're going to start in a place that we don't uh, normally spend a ton of time on on this show. But we're going to dedicate some time to it now. We're going to start in the world of baseball, actually. Although it doesn't necessarily have to do specifically with baseball. The story just comes from the world of baseball. So stick with us even if you don't necessarily like baseball because it's a, it's a bigger conversation. So Zach Britton is a pitcher for the New York Yankees. Um, now a little bit about Zach Britton. Now this is coming from CBS. This is just a little blurb about Britton. So says Britton has had an exceptionally strong track record, and this is talking about him – as a pitcher, um, recording two and a half strong seasons with the Yankees prior to this one in 2016. And he had one of the great closer seasons in MLB history with the Orioles when he logged a .54 ERA and finished fourth in the AL Cy Young vote. Now, the reason why they're mentioning the closer portion of his pitching career is because he has been the closer for the New York Yankees while Arolis Chapman has been injured. Now, he has not done particularly well in that role. <clears throat> but so at least right here, this is Britain in his age 33 has pitched to a 6.19 ERA with 12 strikeouts and 14 walks in 16 innings. Opposing hitters this year have an on-base percentage of .425 against Britain, and he's blown three of four save opportunities. One of those came in that Field of Dreams game that happened just a while back between the Yankees and the White Sox, which was awesome, by the way. Not the save. Not the blown save. Uh, but the game itself was really cool. Oh, that game so, was sick. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so with Britain struggling the way that he's been struggling, he said this, and this is a quote from Britain. So Britain disclosed to news uh, to the news – well – this is really worded very strangely, but on, on Saturday, this was last Saturday, he talked to reporters and he said, quote, I told him, and this is him being his um, manager, so I told him I don't deserve to be out there in the ninth inning. Other guys deserve it. I haven't been pitching the way I should be to be out there when the team needs to win. I told Boone, Aaron Boone is the manager of the Yankees, I want to pitch whenever you need me i'll be ready but i don't deserve to be out there in those situations so basically what britain did was he told aaron boone to take him out of that closure role because he has been struggling so 
so mightily. Mm -hmm. So this sparked a gigantic debate over the last 48, 72 hours about whether or not as a sports world, do people, should people be looking at that as like, you know what, good on Zach Britton for having the wherewithal to take himself out, knowing that it's actually truthfully is probably better for the team that somebody else handles that role. Or the other argument is, well, you're a player and you're being paid to do a job. You go out there and you do the job and you fight and you fight your way through it pretty much is the best way I can put it. So we're going to talk about that here and how we fall, because after listening to all of these conversations over the past 72 hours, I have a mixed opinion. But before I get to mine, Sam, I want to hear yours because we haven't talked about this. Yeah, we haven't. I, I truly didn't um, know this was happening until you brought it to my attention. But um, I honestly have no problem with a player uh, like what Zach Britton did, going to his manager and asking to be put in a different role. I, think, I, I, I don't really understand the sentiment behind um, the negativity that he's getting because it's, it's not like he's asking not to pitch at all. It's not like he's asking for time off. And even if it, even if he was, we've seen players do that in the past and it uh, working out. I mean, these guys need mental health. They need days off, like yada, yada. I mean, uh, but it's not like he's saying he doesn't want to pitch anymore. He's just saying he wants to pitch in a different role for his mm-hmm. team that he could be better served. I, I, I honestly don't understand the sentiment to it. And, um, I, I'd be curious to see. Um, were you, did you hear any of it, of what of what, what uh, people were saying that were against this this move? I, I it's one of those things where again, the from what I have heard, and this is just from listening to ESPN, especially people who played baseball, is that. You know, you're being so apparently Zach Britton is being paid like fifteen million dollars a year is the number that I heard. So he's being paid like a big time pitcher. And right. It's what the argument that I heard, and this was coming from a former pitcher in the MLB, a former closer. I cannot for the life of me remember his name. Um, but he was pretty much just saying that, you know, you're being paid like a big time pitcher to go out there and pitch and you're you've been given this big responsibility and to, to bow away from that responsibility and to take on less and to, cause really what he was talking about was the pitching rotation that by him doing this, he's now completely changing the rotation for the entire, for the entire team. And it's also going to affect a bunch of other people uh, and mm-hmm. their roles on the team as well. Um, and- but doesn't it? But so the flip side of that, it also creates an opportunity for guys to take on a bigger role in the bullpen. So I don't really get that. I mean, yes, uh, I think baseball is more so creatures of habit than anything. But wouldn't guys be looking to make that big money to be closers? You'd think, yeah. Um, but then the argument to that would be, well, you were given the opportunity to be a big time closer. And now you're you're walking away from it because you're no just, no no because I'm you're struggling about, with it. I'm talking about his teammates. Like that that um that sentiment seemed like he was leaving his teammates out to dry and forcing them to do different things that maybe they're not comfortable with or or uh, more so prepared for. Yeah, and it's it's hard because I I really do understand both sides of the argument because my initial gut reaction to this was, well you don't hear that that often because Mm -hmm. normally uh, like, like, and 
So the best, the only like personal connection that I could have with this is my coach who I played for. Um, I had a coach that I stuck with for like five, six years. And he just got to a point because whenever he would ask me if I wanted to come out of the game, if I was tired, I'd always tell him no, because I always wanted to stay out there. And eventually after a couple, a couple seasons with him, he knew that. And he just, he wouldn't ask me anymore because he started, he could tell based on how I was playing and how I was moving that, okay, mm-hmm. he's tired. It's time to come out. But he knew if he asked me, I was always going to say no, because nobody ever wants to sit on the bench. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, you know, part of that sentiment is because even if you're playing poorly as an athlete, you got to have that mindset that, okay, I'll get the next one. I'll get the next one. No matter, no matter what, how many next ones you think there are going to be, you always are supposed to think that you're going to get the next one. So it's unusual to hear an athlete go, you know, I really genuinely don't think I'm going to get the next one. I, I'm really in a bad spot right now. Take me out and, and put somebody else in that role. So mm. one, I kind of commend him for having the, for doing something that I know personally, I would never be able to do. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I would always just say, you know what? I will figure it out. Let me figure it out in game, but maybe that's not the best thing to do because at the end of the day, he's playing for the Yankees and the Yankees are trying to win games. And if he genuinely is costing them wins, then maybe, maybe that's a really good team player move to do. So it's very, I, I it's don't, very unselfish. Yeah, I don't know. It's super yeah, I don't unselfish know. Um, because he could sit there and say, Hey, I'm like, coach, I'm fine. I got this next one. But then in reality, he doesn't. Yeah. And it's, it's going to, before he can figure it out, it's going to cost them. And Zach Britton before has been a really great pitcher. So I don't think that this is the end of Zach Britton. Like he can definitely find it. And he was, that's the thing I don't get either. He wasn't brought to the Yankees to close. They already had a big no, time close. Not. They had the best closer in the game. So to sit here and say like penalize this guy for now, he doesn't want to close. He didn't come here to close. I think they actually traded for him, but like they didn't, they didn't bring him in for him to close. So I don't feel like you can knock the guy for it. I liken this more to we, t- Jason, and I talked about this a little bit. It's close to like when a uh, kicker loses confidence in his ability, because it's such a specialty position in a team sport, closing a pitch. A, uh, everyone, everyone says that, all, all the people, all the guys that know, know baseball is those last three outs are the hardest three outs to get in baseball. And there's nothing like pitching that ninth inning to get that save. It's such a specialty thing that you need guys that are wired just totally differently. And I think that's the same with kicking field goals. That's the same with, in my opinion, uh, for soccer a little bit, guys that take those penalty kicks for their teams that are assigned that. Yeah. So I think this is closer to a guy that's assigned to take PKs for his team. Um, if a player is negatively impacting their team's results, then they're just being a good teammate for asking for a different role. They're not saying they don't want to play anymore. Hey, coach, take me out. They're saying, hey, let me help the team in a different way. I think this is, this is also close to um, in basketball. If a guy is a primary option and he's just not playing well, if he goes to his coach and says, hey, like maybe we, we should uh, focus more on getting so-and-so involved. If LeBron is struggling, he could be like, hey, Frank, let's, let's lean on AD a little bit more this game. Does that mean that 
LeBron isn't as much of a competitor, isn't as much of an athlete, isn't looking to improve because I don't think that's at all what's going on here with Zach Britton. I think he is still trying to be the best he can be, but in this, in this uh, current time, he can't be that player. And I think it's very big of him to acknowledge that you don't really see that, especially at this level when guys are supremely confident. Well, the thing about LeBron is that if he was, if he came up to Frank Vogel and said, I, I just don't have it tonight, let's feed AD, there are other ways for him to be productive. He can get a lot of assists, he can get a lot of rebounds, he could move the ball, he could contribute um, in terms of the flow of the offense, you know, assist, you know, not be turning the ball over, play good defense, all that stuff. So he's got an abundance of ways that he can contribute to the team. The thing with pitching is that you only have one job. But so, didn't he? Didn't he? Pit, you right, said he, he right, pitched when he didn't close. Right. That's what. So that's what I was going to next. So I think with pitching, while yes, you only um, can really contribute to the team in one way, unless you're Shohei Otani. Um, yeah. He can pitch. I mean, he like like Sam said, he's not. He's really not a closer, so he can go to a different spot in the lineup, which is why I don't necessarily think and why my gut reaction wasn't for this to be as egregious as I've heard some people say it is because he really can contribute. He still can do the same job just Mm -hmm. in a different part of the game. Mm -hmm. It may force the Yankees to adjust a little bit. Yes. Which may not be necessarily team or not but fair or unfair if it is better for the team then it was the right decision but i don't Um, don't get that i don't get that fair or unfair to the team well again you might be one you're having the yankees adjust to something that they weren't counting on that they weren't planning on adjusting to same thing with the players that's Um, like saying injuries aren't fair or something no well, one plans. In, in, in a, I mean, in a sense, they're not, but you have to deal with it. Um, exactly. So, what is the difference between this and an injury? Or say, say Zach Britton didn't go to Aaron Boone and ask to be taken out, but he struggled so poorly that Aaron Boone needed to take him out of that closing role. Is that then? That's okay, though. Right, and that was that. That was something that other people that I heard people bringing up this week was maybe maybe there was a, already a private conversation about, hey, you know, this isn't going super well. Um, what 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 can we do? And and maybe the reason why Zach just went and maybe that maybe that decision was already being sort of floated around. He could read the tea he, leaves, a and he bit. just and he just made it made it more easy for Aaron Boone. Like, hey, I know we already talked about this. Uh, once yeah. behind closed doors. So let's ju- let's just do it. I, I, I forget it. Let's go. Let's pull the trigger right now. So that's something we'll obviously never know. But mm-hmm. it was an interesting conversation because that's not something again you hear in sports very. That's often. against that's against an athlete's wiring. I feel like because uh, like you, Jason, I think it's almost uh, coaches have harped on that sentiment of like never pull yourself out of the game. Yeah. Like we we'll take you out when you're tired. That's been a sentiment. And you always, as an athlete, you always want to be on playing and trying to improve, trying to do what you need to do to win. And I think that's, that's super, it's definitely showing a changing of the guard a little bit of how, um, 
I think these guys are more than ball players almost. And that's sort of pictured that's sort of uh, pictured more and more as the years go on that that athletes are more than just athletes. They're actually people too. And I think this is just another layer of that conversation. Right. And that's obviously been a big thing for a while, but you're right. This probably stems a little bit more into that. Like, look, you know, if somebody in their job was really struggling, then it's a good idea for you to tell your boss, Hey, I'm struggling. I need Mm -hmm. help. So in this sense, Zach is doing his job. He's struggling and he's saying he needs help. So in that, when you look at it that way, that seems fairly black and white, but it is kind of against sports lore <laughs> to do that, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's just such a such an interesting conversation. Um, and I mean, hopefully, hopefully Zach got what he wanted, I guess, in that sense, and is more is happier in his new role. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure Zach Britton did not want to struggle on the mound. No. I'm sure he no, would no, have no. liked to not have blown all these saves and have a above six ERA. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, interesting. And I wanted to, uh, that's not what we were planning on starting the show with yesterday when we were talking about the show. But as I was at work today and I was listening to just, you know, sports radio and that, that came up again. And I was like, you know what? We, we really need to, <laughs> we really need to talk about this because now, because and this is why we do this show, because after you listen to so many people talk about a certain topic on, you know, and with sports, you're like, OK, I need to contribute to this conversation now mm-hmm. because this is something I'm passionate about. Well, I like I think I don't know about you, Jason, but I like not knowing what everyone else is saying, because then you're you're just subconsciously. Your comments are by like biased one way or another based off of what other people have said. I like just hearing it of what happens and then giving my own thoughts yeah and see i'm the opposite i like collecting information and then sort of making my own making my own opinion from that because i like i like to take the temperature of of the room when it comes to that um but you're just a you're just a disciple of mike greenberg anyway sure sure (laughs) (laughs) um he's a lot better at transitioning than i am um, no, no, you're the best. Come on, I don't think so. I don't think so because we're about to jump into the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> we're jumping. We're jumping. We're just leaping. We're leaping. Hey, we're, we're pivoting from one from one team in New York to the other. Honestly, um, so for those of you that don't know, uh, Steve Cohen is the owner of the New York Mets, and the Mets are struggling. They started off really, really well this season. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of took a took a dive bomb. Um, so I'll just read you some numbers. This is coming from Yahoo Sports. The Mets point two three five team batting average ranks twenty third in baseball. Their point their point three one three on base percentage ranks eighteenth, and their point three eighty slugging percentage ranks twenty sixth. By nearly all measures, the team's offense has been subpar. So why are we talking about their offense? Well, Steve Cohen is a really kind of, how can I put this, interesting type of owner. And the reason why is because usually in sports, your owners are very quiet and I quote unquote businessmen, usually Mm -hmm. more than like Mark Cuban is the exception, not the rule with him and Steve Ballmer too. 
in that sense, the, the Clippers owner. They are so invested in the team. They are as much of a fan as they are an owner. That's rare in sports. That doesn't happen all that often. Steve Cohen has uh, a Twitter account, and recently he's been putting out tweets you know, around the team, talking about the team. Nothing over the line that necessarily um, you'd go, okay, why is the owner tweeting that? It may be a little weird to some people because a lot of his tweets have been more sounding like a fan than, you know, maybe an owner. But at the end of the day, he probably bought the team because he is a fan, you know. So it, in that sense, to me, it hasn't been all that weird up until yesterday. So what actually I'm sorry. Yesterday will be when this podcast gets released. So as of today, actually, Steve Cohen tweeted at mm-hmm. 6.09 a.m. It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. So that appears to be a pretty direct <laughs> arrow right at the team. Just a shot right at everybody. And I want to ask you, Sam, do you think that that is a line that Steve Cohen doesn't need to cross? Did he cross a line with that tweet? Yeah, I think he did, Um, especially with how much backlash the team is getting from their own fan base. It's really tough if you're part of that organization to then have your boss throw uh, lawn darts right all over this organization. I just want to talk a little bit about the the recent history of the Mets so like you said they got off to a hot start they were actually I think they had a five-game lead in the division at the all-star break but now the Mets are in the midst of a six and 14 in their last 20 games they've lost their lead in their division Um, they're currently on a five-game losing streak and they're tied 1-1 with the Giants in the top of the 10th so still could lose this this game and extend that losing streak. And they have their next seven games are against the Dodgers and the Giants, the two best teams in the NL. So there is a real possibility that this team continues to struggle and loses all hope of making the playoffs and potentially catching the Phillies or the Braves. The Mets went from one of the best stories in baseball with the best player in the game in Jacob deGrom to a team underlined by offensive struggle and a community-wide panic. Fans everywhere just hounding this team, even much so that one of the faces of this team, Pete Alonso, had to go out and do an Aaron Rodgers relax. Looking at the team that is taking the field for the once division-leading Mets, there shouldn't be really any surprise. And I think this is the biggest thing that I have with this. Uh, Pete Alonso is the only player that's that's playing well currently and even he just got out of one of the worst slumps in baseball I think he had a sub one batting average at one point in the last month Francisco Lindor the team's star is out Javier Baez a guy that they traded for the trade deadline to really help this team uh, extend that lead out Jacob deGrom still out with all the pressure that is heaped onto this team and playing in a big market like New York with those fans, the comments that Steve Cohen put out there, I think with all that in mind, are out of bounds. And I think it's 
they're completely unwarranted. Like this could have been instead of a 6 a.m. tweet, which I don't know what spurred that tweet on. Was he watching highlights of the game before? I know it's a, it's on the West Coast, so maybe he couldn't have he didn't see it if he was on the East Coast. So maybe he was watching the highlights and was like, "Oh my, fr- oh, what is going on here?" And then that's what spurred this tweet on. I don't know. It, that's pretty weird to tweet that early in the morning. But this could have been handled in inside. He has the ability to call up a manager. Call. I think this definitely more so in, instead of the players. I think the coaching staff. This looks more down upon because it's really uh, critiquing the the like. Um, the mindset that these players are going up to they're unproductive they're undisciplined like more questioning what these guys are doing when they go up to the plate i think that's the those things just should not be said especially by an owner and jason and i had a hard time finding other examples of owners publicly shaming their teams on court or on field performances we str- we couldn't find anything else, and there's a reason why. Because this is probably one of those unwritten rules that guys just aren't supposed to do. This is probably a big time no no in all circles of ownerships. Yeah i I've heard again. I've heard both sides of the argument on this one. Some people have liked it. Some people have not. I have there's I have not been swayed at all from my original stance of that's just too far. It's just too far. You when cuz here's the thing. That first line, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. That's just okay. First and foremost, that is really really harsh and it's not personal in the sense that he's not calling out any individual batter on the team Mm -hmm. but because of he's not calling any individual batter out what he is doing is he's calling everybody out the whole entire everybody who steps up to the plate for the Mets Mm -hmm. has to think about that their owner just said that and here's the way that I look at it and this is the reason why I haven't swayed on my original stance. And I have, I have yet to hear somebody say this, and I don't know why. There, when you are having a team, when, well, when you are having a team, that was a very poorly worded <laughs> sentence. When, when you have a team. When you have a team over for dinner, <laughs> this yeah. is what you should do. <laughs> right. When you have a team that is struggling, and I've been on plenty of those. And Sam, I'm sure you've been on plenty of teams that have struggled hey, in the past. Hey, we've we've been fans of teams that have been struggling. That too, <laughs> that too. But more specifically, like we have been on some great teams, some teams that went undefeated, and some teams that legitimately lost like pretty much every game we played. I've been everywhere in the middle with that. When that is going on, there are going to be so so when the negatives happening when your team is getting just pummeled day in and day out. You just have a really bad record. Stuff is just not going right. And it's not even getting blown out either. Like teams just find – when you're in a record, right. you find ways to lose. Right. But, here's, games. but the point the point really is is that when your team is just going through a really rough patch, you obviously cannot control what people around you are going to be saying. And a lot of people are going to be, again, like mm-hmm. you said, throwing lawn darts at you from every – from every which way, whether it's 
maybe it's friends, maybe it's fans, maybe it's, but no, but I mean like not necessarily yeah. criticizing you, but like no, asking no, totally. you, right. So, but just, they don't, like I said, they don't even necessarily have to be criticizing you, but asking you what's going on and you may not have an answer for them. And in that mm-hmm. sense, it doesn't feel good to be questioned why your team is doing bad because you may not have an answer for it. So mm-hmm. whether that's coming from friends or family and then from people who don't know you, criticism, you obviously can't control that. But what you can do is keep a positive mindset within yourself and within the team and to lean on each other in that sense. And when one of your own, when one of your own, especially the head honcho, turns around and starts joining in, now you got friendly fire. And when you're fighting against yourself like that, that just makes it so much worse. You can't control so many things when it comes to the media and outside presence. And the one thing that you can control is what's going on in your locker room and in your organization and in your team. And when that all of a sudden takes a turn on you as well, there's no way you're set up for success in that sense. So Steve, if he wanted to have that conversation, which he clearly did because he put it out there for people to see, Mm -hmm. he should have just gone to the team Mm -hmm. and had this conversation behind closed doors because he clearly is invested in this team. I'm not, I don't think anybody's arguing the fact that he, if he's invested or not, he is, but He's also in a unique position in the sense that he's the damn owner of the team. So Mm -hmm. if you want to have that conversation, feel free. You're the owner. Just don't do it publicly where all other people now have access to it, and especially the people who were already criticizing the team. So, Mm -hmm. yes, he crossed the line because it turned into friendly fire at that point, and you just cannot succeed if you're just shooting yourself. Yeah, I want to highlight that that too. This team was struggling mightily before this quote, obviously, um, occurred. And I just to just to push that point further, uh, ten days ago, Pete Alonso, the team's one of the faces of the team, had to go out and, and said this quote, Jason. I don't think you've heard this, but just tell me what you think of this. Mets fans, believe in us, and don't just believe. No, there's tough times not just in baseball, but in life in general. This is just a speed bump and a challenge and also smile. Why do you yeah. think he, why do you think he put that out there 10 days ago? Well, because the team was going through a rough patch and because they were trying the, to stay positive <laughs> because Mets fans were throwing just slander their team's way. Mm-hmm. That was 10 days ago. This team hasn't looked better since then. And now their their owner, the the guy that's the leading the ship, the captain of the ship, is saying, hell with going down with the with the crew. I'm getting the heck off this boat. You guys are the problem here. Yeah. Instead of standing with his guys or just not even saying anything at all. That would have been a better than instead of uh, supporting his players. Yeah, just say nothing at all. And that was ten day, days ago that Pete Alonso felt the need to put that out because of how much hate that their team was getting from their fans. That was ten days ago, and the pressure just builds and builds and builds, and now it's astronomical at this point. How can this team succeed? Hey, that's the old adage, right? From Herm, don't press send. Don't press send. 
Old and, guys, man. Old guys can't get on Twitter. Truthfully, it's, truthfully. So I know the don't press send thing from Herm is like one of his most famous quotes. I actually, he had a better one, in my opinion, than that one. Um, oh, the bad came, guy's got a dragon? Well, the bad guy's got a dragon was hilarious. <laughs> but the soundbite that I hear from him all the time is like, it's about Twitter, too. He, he was like, he basically was like, guess what? When you tweet all that stuff out, you know what? Da-na-na, da-na-na, we got it. I, I love that. I think that's better than the don't press send one. Isn't he, it a crime that Herm Edwards isn't on ESPN anymore? I know. I know that he's coaching, so he can't be, but ah, yeah. He, he was, was such a good personality. He's, he was so fun. He was so fun. Oh, man. You know what else is super fun? What? The NBA Christmas Day schedule. Because Christmas Day is always, always – a good time. One, because you know, you know, Christmas. And everybody loves Christmas. But for a lot of us, Christmas also means a day sitting in front of the TV watching basketball. And the NBA Christmas Day schedule has been released and wow! It's really good. <laughs> so, well, I'll just read you the list of the game. Starting off the day hot at 9 a.m. At 9 a.m., we're going to get – we are going to get Trey returning back to the Garden. It's the Hawks versus the Knicks. Mm-hmm. And something that I would say arguably might be the second-best game of the day. Whoa. Yes, and we can debate that. But I think that's the second-best game of the day. So the one after that is going to be the Celtics visiting the NBA champions and the Milwaukee Bucks. Dud. Then Dud of a game. I think so, too. <laughs> then, but you know they had to put the uh, the yeah. champs on on Christmas. But why Day. Boston? Why not Miami? Why is that not Miami and Milwaukee? Miami would have been great, or hell, even Chicago with their new with their new look Bulls. Um, I think it's too. That's too early though. That's too early to put okay, fair. Chicago and Christmas Day. Fair, fair. The next game will be Steph. And hopefully a healthy clay. Dude, Miami with Kyle Lowry. Why is Miami not in that spot? I don't know. Jason, I'm getting physically ill not having <laughs> the Miami Heat versus Milwaukee Bucks on I Christmas don't know. Day. I don't know. I don't I couldn't tell you. Continue. I couldn't tell you. Um, so again, the game after is going to be Steph, hopefully a healthy clay. And Draymond, the Warriors. And Andrew Wiggins. Whoa, and, say whoa. Andrew Wiggins, come on. Okay, and Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> going to Phoenix and playing uh-huh. the Suns. The next game is going to be the game that we all wanted to see. Oh, the nightcap right in front of my Christmas ham. Is going to be the Brooklyn Nets in L.A. against mm. the Lakers. And then the final mm. game is the Dude, Mavericks get... versus the Jazz. A great game, too. Awesome. We get Russ versus KD. We get LeBron okay. now, versus wait a minute. KD. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So the the joke that I heard today was, what is the over-under on how many of the six stars actually play in that game? They Did were they making, sit out last year? They, no, well, they were making a joke about rest, about load management. Yeah, yeah. No, there's and no way they sit the Christmas Day game. Thank you. Thank you. Because I heard, uh, at least when I was listening, it was people were saying, ah, three of them, four of them, three of them, maybe five. And I was like, you all are high. If they're all healthy, they're going to play. They're mm-hmm. going to play. There's no way. 
there's no way the NBA will not no. And I'm not going to say that the NBA could like tell them yeah, that they Adam have Silver's, to play. Oh, Adam Silver's got them on speed dial. Let's but, be honest. But I think the NBA would would you know quote unquote tell them that you got to play. <laughs> do I think there's going to be some injuries? Like, do I think that James Harden and Kyrie Irving will both be healthy at that time during Christmas? That's unlikely. Well, that's based tough. Off of based off of Kyrie's injury history, and James has been getting the injury bug a lot too. So yeah, it will, will, uh, do I know for sure if AD and LeBron will be healthy at that point either? That's tough too. I don't know (laughs) what I love to see all three stars for both teams playing in this game. Heck yeah, I do sign me up for that. Especially when I got, I got mashed potatoes. I got ham. I even maybe got some Turkey. I got Dude. my stockings open. I got fresh clothing. I got new socks for Christmas because all I get is socks. Let's go. Dude, so I, I got to say, just because you said mashed potatoes, Bree and I went out to dinner last night to a restaurant called Fifth Street Steakhouse. Okay. <clears throat> shout, Ooh. Out to, Ooh. shout out to uh, Fifth Street Steakhouse. Free advertising. You got some meat and mashed potatoes? Oh, dude, there <clears throat> now. I have long said, like, give me a burger and burger, burger and like sushi are like my two favorite foods. But if 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 you give me a steak, Mm-mm. honestly, a really like well cooked steak, like it's cooked properly, better than a burger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that they're few and far between. They're few, like they really are few and far between. Nah, but steak if all you, day. But if you get a if you get steak that's really cooked well, then it's like impossible to beat. And the steak that I had last night was phenomenal. But not only that, it came with mashed potatoes. And if anybody listening is on the lumpy mashed potato train, please stop listening. You gotta please, be smooth. Please stop, li- dude. It was like butter. It mainly because it like is butter. But I mean, <laughs> but but like but let's be honest here. You know mashed potatoes are good when you can just put it in your mouth and it just like melts. You don't even have to do anything. It just over the course of like five seconds is in your mouth and gone, and you didn't even have to like swallow it. It just like slides down your throat <laughs> because it is that smooth and. Oh, that was those mashed potatoes, and it was delicious. You know that also that also describes what it's going to be like watching that Brooklyn Nets versus Lakers game. But what is the sec? What is the next best game on that schedule right there? Well, as long as I'm eating no lumpy mashed potatoes, then I'm fine. <laughs> but I think the second the second best game has got to be the Hawks and the Knicks to me, and I think. It wouldn't have been had the playoff series between the Hawks and the Knicks not been as compelling as it was. Mm -hmm. But because Trey sort of became this villain throughout that series and the Knicks got a really a good playoff berth for them. They were the four seed and they played really well and played way high, like just above expectations. And, you know, Trey and the Hawks came in there and just, beat him in the garden and he had just a amazing perform. I think that is going to be, that place is going to be rocking. They're mm-hmm. going to let Trey hear it. 
And I think that game is going to be, who knows if it's going to be a, a great game. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but the series was good. Um, so I'm only going to imagine that the game will be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is set up to be the second best game of that day. Give me Phoenix Golden State over that game. Okay. And give me Dallas Utah over that game. So I wouldn't have even. So my ranking would have been Nets Lakers, Hawks Knicks, Dallas Jazz. Mm-hmm. Probably then Golden State Phoenix, and then the stupid Bucks Celtics game, which yeah, I miss, don't know why is there. Miss me. Why is Miami not in that? <laughs> yeah. Um, they should that- be. Luca, you know Luca's gonna put up forty-five plus in this game, and then you have Utah, who's a just a great team, especially in the regular season. You got Donovan Mitchell versus Luca. I mean, come on. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich on one Joe side. You Ingles. Have Joe Ingles, who's gonna talk his smack. Then you have Luca, who's probably gonna outscore all of them combined. Yeah. And I, I don't even think he'll get any help in that game. I think it's literally yeah. just going to be all Luka. And then in Phoenix, you have a team that was just in the NBA Finals. I think they're going to take a step back this year. They're not going to play as well as they did last year. But you still have Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and those guys versus Steph Curry. I don't even know if Klay Thompson is going to be healthy for that game. But if it's just Steph, that's still – Nuts, because this guy should have won MVP last year, played yeah, at an MVP level at least, and I just want to see what he does on Christmas Day against a great defensive team. Yeah, and then the Bucks are just going to route the Celtics. <laughs> well, I don't. We don't need to even mention that game because that game sucks. <laughs> yeah, Giannis is going to go for like sixty, and then Middleton's going to have thirty, and then Holiday's going to clamp anybody who decides to think that they can drive on him. And then, yeah, the Celtics are just going to get obliterated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Boston. But at the same time, I'm not. Is Davion Mitchell the next Drew Holiday? Well, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) And we we will get to that in one second. But I actually – there was something I wanted to ask you about because did you hear pertaining to the NBA that Mm -hmm. Adam Silver says that he has spoke to LeBron James about the play-in tournament and and is open to tinkering – after a full season, the question that I have for you is: Do you think that it's a like Adam he spoke Silver spoke to just LeBron? So apparently, well, I don't know if it was just LeBron, but it says so. What I've heard and what I'm reading right now um, on Bleacher Report, <laughs> um, the headline is: Adam Silver says he spoke to LeBron James about NBA's play-in tournament. Um, uh huh. And the question that I heard brought up today is, or the analogy that I heard was, and I thought this was a great analogy, was, actually, you know what? I'm not even going to go there yet because I just want your gut reaction on Adam Silver talking to LeBron James about potentially tweaking the play-in tournament. Well, that really doesn't surprise me because I think Adam Silver, like probably more so than any other commissioner, really listens to his players. So that really doesn't surprise me that he would go out of his way to contact one of the players, especially a player that was so outspoken about but the playing tournament. He? That's the thing. Should he? So, so I think that 
that headline, I'm not really going to take it face value because I feel like he didn't just speak to LeBron. He probably spoke to also Steph and also um, other big name players that were involved in the play-in tournament that were outspoken about it and also spoke to uh, ownerships and team officials that had their feelings about the tournament because it was it's fir- that was its first iteration of that concept. Mm-hmm. So of course it needed tweaking. It wasn't going to be perfect. Um, it really doesn't surprise me. And I, I think, oh man, if it, if it is true that he just spoke to LeBron, I think that is a little shady because that's putting a little too much voice in one player of one franchise in an entire league. I feel like that's a little, then it drowns out the other voices of the, psh, uh, uh, quick math. Uh, three hundred and some three hundred odd NBA players. If it's just one player has a voice about a matter in the co- in the commissioner's ear, that's mm-hmm. the the one thing that I would have. But I don't believe that that is the case, especially the track re- record that Adam Silver has had for running this league. Right. Well. We probably won't ever know that, but I think I agree with you with that. If he just spoke to LeBron, then that is giving way too much authority to LeBron. Um, but if he's spoken to more players, then yes. Yes, then that, that's fine. That's fine. Um, okay, I was going to talk you, about that. Do you think bit. he shouldn't have talked to any player? Do, like, do you think he should not ask any players? Um, I don't know. And I think... Because you got to remember, LeBron was the one who was so outspoken against the play-in tournament last season. Yeah. Um, so I would be curious to I, – I would hope that if he was going to do that, which he did, if that was his plan all along to talk to him, then I would hope that he did that with – like you just said, like you just said. I hope that he talked to somebody else who maybe was in favor of the way the play-in tournament worked. You know, you know, if he's going to talk to his players about the play-in tournament, then he, I would imagine he would at least have the wherewithal to get both sides of the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe he doesn't need both sides because he's in favor of... You're right. You're right. And he's the commissioner in the league, so he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> He can but, do whatever he did. Well, please. But Silver, if you're listening, um, yo, Adam, get both sides. <laughs> get both sides. What do you What do you hope they change about the playing tournament? I liked it, truthfully. I I don't think I don't think there's any necessarily obvious tweaks that they need to make. I was all good with it. Is it too many games? Well, too many, maybe if um, well. I don't know. I, 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 as a fan, no. <laughs> as a fan, no. As a player, I think, maybe. But... I think as a player, if you're the seventh seed, do you think that you should be in the play-in tournament? Theoretically, if, you're a, if you play well enough to be a seventh seed and make the playoffs easily, but then lose straight games, your season is down the toilet. I feel like that's kind of a flaw. 
Maybe, but you also have a team who would have earned it from you. But they did. They just won one game against you. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I, it, it, the tournament was there to create excitement, and it did that. Um, yeah. And I was fine with it from a fan perspective. I mean, I'm sure there are ways. I'm sure we could dedicate an entire show to trying to think of new formats for the NBA play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but off the top of my head, no, I didn't really have any major gripes coming away from it, mainly because if the seven seed won their first game, they didn't have to play again. Um, Easier said than done. And they should against the 10th the seeded team, you'd think. Um, no, they play the eighth seed. I thought it was seven, seven verse ten, no. eight verse nine, and uh-huh. then no, because Golden State and LA played. <laughs> um, this has gone to its screeching halt. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I, I don't think that the okay no okay yeah okay yeah so right here eight verse nine and nine verse ten okay well then I think the eighth seed would be at the biggest disadvantage in that sense but whatever it doesn't matter it doesn't really matter but sorry for the little delay everybody but that was I was trying to look up the format and I saw it and I just I really don't I I, I go back to my original point I really don't have that big of a gripe with it so oh, I, I think it adds excitement i think it is definitely an, a yeah. new piece to it i just think guys must have been really tired i was i was listening to a uh, i was listening to the jj reddick podcast and he had drew holiday on and the guys they were talking about the guys that went to the olympics they played basketball for almost a year and a half straight of high-level basketball, going from the bubble all the way to the new season, the final, like the playoffs, then the Olympics, and now it's like practically the start of the new season. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. I'm sure that was the biggest gripe of the plan, of the increased workload and travel for guys. I would imagine so. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not even that – that many games let's be honest it's not like it's a series yeah but it's still it's it's just hey man don't don't poo poo it i'm not i said don't poo poo it i said i didn't have any major drives with the tournament (laughs) but you know again my advice to old adam over there is just to get both sides (laughs) go adam you gotta call Oh man, Mr. Well, Mr. Silverstar. Well, actually, speaking of both sides, it's a good way to both transition sides. in. Speak. That's a good way to transition into this. When it comes to the Kings, both sides of the basketball have not really been um, that important to them, except if huh. you're on the summer league team, <laughs> <laughs> because apparently there are actually two sides to a basketball game if you play for the Kings summer league team because the Kings just won tournament champions in the NBA finals. So the real question... 
big thing overreaction, right? Well, hang on. My overreaction is the real question is, is this summer league team a better than the dream team or B (laughs) (laughs) or B What? (laughs) or B (laughs) never, I can't even finish it. What's B? What's B? B B would be the best team you've ever seen because reading, reading these defensive stats, just from, just from last night, at one point, I think this was during halftime, the Kings had turned the ball over six times. The Boston Celtics had turned the ball over 25 times. The Kings had 36 points off of turnovers. The Celtics only had two. The Kings had 14 steals, and Boston only had two. On their way to the 167 win over the stupid Boston Celtics. I don't even know why they were on the same court as the Kings. Right. Speak your speak. So, I'm just talk, saying. Talk your shit, Jason. I'm just saying. You know what, Jason? To answer your question, I think it's C, none of the above, because this is the greatest form of basketball. This is the most purest form of basketball I think we have ever been privy to watch of all time. I think when – what was the guy's name that invented basketball? Do you have it off the top of your head? Oh, sh- I should, but give me a sec. Right, I think it's on the mind. When he was thinking of basketball and putting those fruit carts on Naismith, gosh, why? Do, yeah, James Naismith. Why James Naismith. When why he pictured the game of basketball, he didn't know it, but he had the Sacramento Kings summer league team in his mind. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is the, the greatest performance a team on the hardwood has put out eclipsing that of Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird all in the same court. I just want you to know that when I was typing in who invented basketball, the actual first thing that popped up was who invented walking. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Your computer's messed up, man. I That's just... Okay. <laughs> okay. A society. There's your answer. I don't know. But um, even even another overreaction, Bobby Jackson should just win coach of the year right now. Well, the the perfect reaction would be Luke Walton should leave. <laughs> Luke Walton <laughs> should be out the door. Bobby Jackson already lives in town. He's already worked for the Kings for several years. Just promote him. He's got a championship already. He just got one. He has more success than any other Kings coach in the last, oh, I don't know, ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the reason why I'm so hyped about these defensive numbers, so I've got some, I've got some stats for the Kings right here from last season. This is from ESPN. This, the, this is the, uh, the two sentences that they wrote in a larger article, but it says it's not as if the Kings needed a boost to an offense that ranked 11th in the league with 113.7 points per game last season. Instead, it is the guards defensive tendency, which is they're more talking about Mitchell. The Kings are hoping to help with a lethargic defense that allowed 117.4 points per game. Third worst in the league last year. It was only third worst. Who are the two other teams that are worse than that? I don't know. <laughs> who, who were the two teams that were worse at defense than the Sacramento Kings last year? That's the bigger question. I, I, yeah, they really have to look themselves in the mirror. Um, <laughs> but, oh, my gosh. So, Mitchell, 
is going to be, I'm already telling you right now, is going to be my favorite player on the tier. Bro, he yeah, should hands start. Hands down. He should start day one. From hands what I've seen. down. That dude, you cannot help. He is a winning basketball player. Mm-hmm. No doubt. What that guy brings, he you could just tell that that team totally cultivated around him. He brought the defense right from the start, giving guys off nights for free. They don't even need to pay for those off nights, Jason. They just got to mm-hmm. walk in. Walk-ins accepted. Just come on in, and he hands out off nights. Yep. I love you, I'm, Peyton Pritchard, but you had an off night, man. I'm really sorry. Davion Mitchell just did that to you. Oh, my – dude, he is just – I. and this – the reason why I love him so much already is just because I've always been somebody who absolutely loves playing defense. It was, like, my favorite part of basketball. I, I didn't get any more satisfaction in basketball than just completely taking somebody out of a game. It didn't it – do, because it honestly doesn't even matter what you do the rest of the game, if you can just take arguably, if not the best player completely out of the game, you're doing one, such a big service to your team. And two, it's just a big F you to the guy who you're guarding. And there is no better feeling. I love playing defense and to watch him run around and just fly. I, I don't know if I've seen somebody in recent memory. Cause even with Kawhi, Kawhi is, he's just huge. Like defense just looks easy for Kawhi. Like with him being one of the best, if not, well, I, I think he's still arguably the best defender in the league, maybe on ball. No, 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 no. he's up there. He's up there. Not Drew, now. Drew, no, Drew no, 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 no. I'd still put him in the conversation. Um, well, that's a shitty conversation. Okay. <laughs> you don't think Dave, Kawhi Leonard's Davion Mitch Davion Mitchell is a better on-ball defender than Kawhi Leonard right now. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but even when Kawhi was at his peak, at least when it came to to defense, it just looked yeah. really easy for him because he was just so big. Mitchell's not a gigantic human being, but my goodness, I don't know if I've ever seen somebody bounce around from side to side and have as much lateral quickness on defense. Mm-hmm. as he does like you can like you know you have a confident and good defender if you really watch him play defense when you move laterally the offensive player is winning if you are moving backwards when he is guarding you he like never moves backwards if there is an opening he will take a step forward and close any gap that you have and he will make you move backwards and it just at least in the summer league let's not get ahead of ourselves but i mean Let's get ahead of ourselves, Jason. (laughs) Okay, fine. Okay, fine. You know what? We have something to be excited about. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, it's man, it's so fun to watch because the Kings desperately need somebody to come in and, one, play defense, but, two, somebody to bring an edge to the team. Seriously. Mm -hmm. The Kings are just soft. I'm sorry. They're soft. Um, And they need somebody to come in and and provide – that edge and if he can play defense like that all year then sign me up for that every single game i log him away as my favorite player already so what what did the kings look like day one now we got a dog in davion mitchell i think he should start day one let this guy now imagine davion mitchell goes up against damian lillard steph your i'd even put a, put him on donovan mitchell his older brother, even though he's not his older brother. 
<laughs> I'd put him on uh, all these point guards in the NBA. I feel comfortable putting Davion Mitchell on. That allows De'Aaron Fox not to guard these guys, and he can just do work on offense. We can see a better offensive De'Aaron Fox next year because he's not tired from guarding the best perimeter right. and, offensive player on the and other let's team. And not, let's not forget that De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are both also good on defense. They are good defenders. Very good, yeah. Um, D- Tyrese Halliburton, probably the best off-ball defender from a perimeter. Like, his instincts in getting in the passing lanes are for, just – As a <laughs> as a rookie, it was ridiculous. It was it was like he was in the secondary just taking picking off passes. Yeah, honestly. So, here's the thing. Because the question now becomes whether or not you start Tyrese or you start Mitchell. And truthfully – Both. Okay, so you're thinking about running a three-guard rotation. I am all on – I know I had my hesitancies right on this podcast. I right, and it. I was going to bring that up. But I'm all for it, dude. Okay, so – Change the NBA right now. Here's, here's two things. One, as somebody who played on a lot of guard-heavy teams, I think it can work in any level of basketball if you have three guards who are all pretty big and are both good and are good on both sides of the ball – it can work wonders for you, especially if you're a team who wants to push the ball. Having three options to get the ball down the court quickly works really well. Dude, we saw Houston have a five-guard lineup, and they made the freaking second round of the playoffs. True. Let's just do it. Let's commit. If, if they're not going to start all three of them, if they're not going to start all three, mm-hmm. then I think you start Mitchell – Ooh. And you start Fox, oh. and you bring Tyrese off the bench. And the reason why is because if Tyrese is one going to be the pro- – Tyrese and De'Aaron, they share the ball, obviously. But if, if De'Aaron's in the game, he's probably going to be handling the ball most of the time. Big time. So that's obviously going to take possessions away from Mitchell and Tyrese. I think mm-hmm. if you want Tyrese to be – as effective as he can be, you make him the primary ball handler in the second group and distribute to your scorers off the bench and even take De'Aaron out maybe earlier, give him Mm -hmm. a breather, and let Tyrese then run the offense with the starters. Mm -hmm. But I think it's an easier one-for-one swap with Tyrese and De'Aaron because I feel like their games, at least from a distributing standpoint and from a pure like point guard standpoint, are similar enough in the sense that I don't think you're necessarily losing. You may be losing a little bit of scoring when you take De'Aaron out, but I think you're getting big time. But I think you're getting maybe more of a willing passer in Tyrese um, when he comes off, and they're not drastic enough either way that it's that big of a deal because Tyrese can score and De'Aaron's a good passer. But I think their games are similar enough that you can justify swapping Tyrese for De'Aaron more so than you can justify swapping like Tyrese um, and Davion. Because I think with, with Davion and Tyrese playing together, I think that would be really good as well. Um, and then you could have Tyrese sort of serve as like the Patty Mills, Manu Ginobili type of role where there's, he's still going to come in and give you 25, 30 minutes a game but he's going to be doing it off the bench. 
And I also think uh, Tyrese is more adept at guarding because he's closer to the height of De'Aaron and he's closer to the length of De'Aaron. So his he would match up well with a guy that De'Aaron is also matching up against. Right. I so think, that's so a I think you start closer De'Aaron. defensive matchup. Yeah, I think you start De'Aaron and Mitchell and then you bring Tyrese off the bench to swap with De'Aaron when he's ready. You also got to think too. This would potentially leave Buddy Heald in the second unit as well. Which is the best place for him if he's still going to be on the team. If he's still dang on the team. You still have Terrence Davis as well, who had bright spots last year. Um, hopefully, uh, Lewis King is brought up as well. He played amazingly in this summer league. I think he opened a lot of eyes. You have uh, Maurice Harkless, who may start, may come off the bench. I think he would actually be a good player to start as a defensive forward along with Harrison Barnes, that's a lot of versatility right there for your two forwards. And then Rashawn Holmes was probably the only player that played defense outside of De'Aaron Fox last year. So on a consistent level. So this team all of a sudden has transformed into a serviceable above average defensive team. You'd think at least on ball wise, because then if you go from De'Aaron and Mitchell to Harrison Barnes and Harkless and then Holmes, you're a small lineup, yes. Mm-hmm. But, again, you are – that's like a Swiss Army knife starting five. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be very interesting because, I mean, that's a very well-rounded in terms of both sides of the ball starting lineup. Um, they're not very big. They aren't very big. But they may not need to be. <laughs> Um, Just imagine this, man. You have De'Aaron at the one, Tyrese at the two, which he can play the two. We saw last year he can shoot. Well, he and, just, he's, and he can slash too. So Big time, big time. He's lengthy. And he, he loves those floaters too. Yeah. And he also, even if they're on the court at the same time, De'Aaron can sit in the corner and Tyrese can run the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. and give him those breaks. Like, he doesn't need to sub in for him to give him a break. He can also just take possessions. Or it doesn't have to be De'Aaron, the one to push the ball up the court. If Holmes gets the rebound, he can pass it to the first guard he sees because all three of these guys can push it. And I feel comfortable with either all three of them, especially De'Aaron and Therese, because we've seen it in, on on an NBA level, to make the right decision in the fast break, I think that this gives that this team their biggest strength is pushing it. I know Luke hasn't really adapted and kind of did it last year, but not really adapted to pushing it. But if they really just buy into this, just go all in with this three-guard lineup, and then that pushes Harrison Barnes, who's – a slow three, but a really fast four. He's a mismatch for most power forwards in the league with his yeah. quickness and his ball handling. I think that's probably the best place you can play him. Yeah. And he's a good enough defender to where he can play. He can hang with most fours in the league. I think that just opens up probably the best lineup for this Sacramento Kings team. Mm-hmm. And I love being proved wrong because I was totally wrong about this. But the what we saw from Davion Mitchell and his offensive game has needs some work. But he's a he's shown to be a good shooter in this league, at least from three. So he's going to stretch to the floor, and he's 
not going to be putting up as many shots as he did in the summer league because he obviously De'Aaron and Harrison and Holmes and uh, Buddy even and Tyrese. Like Davion won't be asked to be the primary option like he was in the summer league. So I don't I don't care about the offensive inefficiency that he had late in the summer league. Um, it's just cool to see that he was able to shoot as well as he did. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to be excited for with this season, at least with, at least with these guards. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what they can do. And if they are at all serviceable on defense, then I'm, I'm fine with it. Because it appears, at least with these, and again, we haven't even seen Mitchell play in an NBA game, but he looks as if – he looks like Tyrese did last year. Like, you just watch him play. He looks like, better, he, dude. Yeah, well, that that's probably fair. Um, oh, you mean you mean like just totally co- like instant impact? Right. So yeah. So what I'm saying is that he looks he, when you watch him play, and this is why I say they're similar. You just go, yeah, they're ready. Yeah. Like uh, there's there's nothing there's nothing about this guy that says he's not ready to be exactly where he is right now. And what what about? I, I don't think there's anything we. Will Davion have to adjust to the amount of fouls that are called and like the ticky tack things that offensive players are able to do to generate fouls and generate space? Yeah, Davion will have to adjust to that. But defense is able to translate way easier to the NBA than offense is. Yeah. Because it's just effort. And the guy is so good. He's so he's so able to adapt to what offensive players are doing. At the highest level, like as like I just said, yes, he will have to learn some things. But that's it's not like he's gonna get got every single night. Guys aren't gonna be used to this level of effort and defense all the time. Because it's such a rarity, especially when they go to the Sacramento Kings in the Golden One Center. They're not mm-hmm. gonna be they're not gonna be like, holy cow, what is this? Why is Dave Mitchell taking me up full court? What is going on here? Right. <laughs> I'm supposed to get 50 tonight. This is how I make my contract. I'm in a contract year. I'm trying to get 50 tonight. And this guy's taking me up full court. What is this? Like, no. <laughs> no. Um, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. And it's gonna be a lot of fun. And I am looking forward to this season. Um, now I have to cut our Kings talk short. And the reason why is, I think we have, done. is because we have – okay, that's fine. We have 20 minutes left in the show, mm-hmm. which is the perfect amount of time to argue because we have, we have some stuff we have to talk about. Do we? Because I, I genuinely think you're wrong with this opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get into this. For those of you who have not seen the Suicide Squad, the, the new suicide, one. The, yeah, suicide, the squad. suicide Squad. Not Suicide Squad. <laughs> the Suicide Squad. The, the brand new one that's in the currently. Name. Yeah, <laughs> the one that is in theaters right now. Yeah. If you have not seen it, then you're good to go. We release you. Um, you're you're done with class. Um, you're excused. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> uh, well, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie and it, there'll be spoilers, obviously. So if you haven't seen it, thank you for listening. We appreciate it, and we will see you all next week. If you have seen the movie, stay with us. Dude, you sound so much like a college professor. It is so. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Uh, make sure, class, remember your, your textbooks and your notebooks because we will be quizzing in class next week. But uh, you guys are all free. 
go go have fun. Go have a great week, a safe weekend, everyone. I'll see you next week. Well, it's a good thing that I'm getting my teaching credentials. <laughs> so, so, with this movie, The Suicide Squad, Sam and I both have differing opinions. Mm-hmm. And his opinion is much more positive than mine. So, Sam, you can have the floor. No, no, I'd, li- I'd like you to take it away. You would like me to take it away. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So I walked into this movie with obviously extremely high expectations. I hadn't seen a single bad review about this movie. So I was going into this thinking, okay, this is going to be great. I'm going to love this movie. And it's just going to be the greatest thing ever. Well, maybe not the greatest thing ever, but you know what I mean. It's just I'm going to walk away loving this movie. Because how how can you not? How can you not? It's James Gunn. You have all these great characters. Also a bunch of new characters. A bunch of big name actors and actresses. James Gunn has a proven history, especially working with ensemble cast. Think about, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and what a crazy success that was. I remember when that trailer came out for Guardians, my dad and I looked at each other like, the Guardians, the Ga- what? <laughs> They're bringing in the, who are these guys? And it turned out to be like a top five Marvel movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um So I had no reason to believe that I was going to walk out of the theater feeling underwhelmed. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I walked out of that movie feeling kind of underwhelmed. There were two scenes in that movie that I loved. The Harley Quinn scene when she got out um, from uh, that little prison cell. By the way, that scene where she grabs a key with her toes and she brings it up and unlocks herself. That was not a stunt double. That was Margot. I think she did it in like one take. Yeah. that was all her, so that was really impressive. I think she does most of her own stunts, doesn't she? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and so that scene was great. And then the scene where they took out the camp, where, um, where uh, Peacemaker and Bloodsport <laughs> took out the camp, and then it ended up being the wrong The resistance? Group. The rebels? That, oh was, that was honestly the best joke in the entire movie. <laughs> oh, my God. When she was when, when, uh, flag. Flag was like, what are you guys doing? They're helping us. <laughs> yeah. And they all just kind of stopped. Why I was did, like, why did no one alert me? Why did none of my people alert me? <laughs> yeah, that I, was that was arguably the best joke in the entire show. That in the entire show, the entire movie. That was hilarious. Um but everything else, it wasn't all that funny. Um there the opening scene was I thought was going to be much more exciting, and it just served as a way to kill off a bunch of characters. Oh a few that gosh, I want. That is so such a flippant way to describe that opening scene. And you know the... that was Saving Private Ryan with such class and comedy that <laughs> we haven't seen in so long. That was like Dunkirk, but with a splash <laughs> of comedy. Dunkirk with a splash of comedy. And just a a javelin thrown in and a purple chick that served no purpose whatsoever. And Pete Davidson getting his face blown off. You didn't get a little chuckle by that? I didn't say I didn't get a little chuckle, but that's all it was, was a little chuckle. (laughs) It was funny. And the the dude... Kind of. When you learned that his power was his arms getting detached from his body. And then he just goes over and slaps the, the, uh, the military people of that city that I yeah. don't even know what it was called. That was so funny, but I knew that that was his power. 
I don't know how you knew that. Oh, it was in a trailer, I think. Um, yeah, I believe it was in a trailer because I had I had heard that that's what he does. Um, so my first thought process was why isn't he behind a rock doing this because <laughs> it was in funny. the middle of the open it um, was funny it was uh, it was sure it was kind of funny but it was also kind of dumb um and uh i'd say the funniest part of that whole opening scene was right at the beginning with weasel <laughs> dude weasel every time he was on the screen i laughed <laughs> he, that was so funny what they were doing with him especially even in the prison when uh Bloodsport was like talking uh meeting the team and then he just sees weasel like in his cell you know also every, in the trailer <laughs> every time that thing was on screen it was hilarious <laughs> um and he didn't know how to swim are you kidding me when when that, that that's what i was saying that was a good joke <laughs> That, you're that talking about a big part of the movie. That wasn't that big. That wasn't that big of a part of the movie. Well, you said okay, Margot Robbie when she broke out of when Harley Quinn broke out of the prison. That was a big section of the movie. Well, I was saying parts that I really enjoyed. The good parts. And okay. then the, when they tore up the resistance camp, that was big. Yeah. So those two, and that was really it. Oh, really? It. What about the? Uh, Peacekeeper and Rick Flag fight. The Peacekeeper and Rick Rick Flag fight. Did uh, you care when Rick Flag died? No. Oh, that is not so really. sad. I think Rick Flag was a awesome character in this one. Yeah, I did too. But it didn't. It wasn't necessarily all that. I don't know. It, I didn't think it was all that emotional. And necessarily. We, can we can we give it up for John Cena? This was a great performance by John Cena. Yeah, but again, not all of his jokes landed for me. Um. The, there were some jokes that did, and quite a few that didn't. You didn't. You didn't like the the little bullet joke. Uh, the little bullet joke was that was kind of funny. Yes, man. But again, like I said, some of them landed, most of them didn't. Um, I walked out of that movie saying Guardians of the Galaxy was hands down funnier. Well, that's hands, not why are hands you down comparing it to Guardians of the Galaxy. The reason why is because it was set up the exact same way. In the sense that it was a group of uh, misfit characters who had a sense of humor and are also quote-unquote superheroes. It's the same thing. Directed by the same guy with a lot of the same people. It only had... Um, uh, I don't even know what his character was in this and I honestly don't even know. He was the dude with the arrow. The whistling arrow dude. Yeah. That was like the only same person. Are you kidding me? Off the top of my head, I can't remember okay. anyone else. Will you have him? Oh, and it had his um his other Ravager like crewmate. Yeah, he which was is in the prison. Right, and that's James Gun- that's James Gunn's brother. Also, the oh, um Sylvester uh, Stallone was also in Guardians. He was in this as well. Idris Elba. He was in the second one. No, he was in the second one. Idris Elba was a huge part of Marvel. Was he? When? Dude, dude, he was Heimdall. Oh, huge part of Marvel. You joking me? Oh my god! Like for an hour of combined on-screen time through like five films, yeah, huge part of Marvel. Okay, whatever. <laughs> like what? huge part. How could I forget Heimdall? Oh whatever. my god! 
I think Marvel forgot Heimdall in the second Thor. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, but again, it was again those. So that the whole ending movie, the cli- the climactic scene. Yeah, you know where they Starro. were. Well, not even Starro. Before that, when they were in the um, when they were in the tower. Yeah. So. First of all, the whole thing when they got out of the vehicle and it was raining, and uh-huh. they and they couldn't see. I didn't buy that at all. I didn't buy that at all. If you're standing there and that was you know, a pretty sick action shot, though. No, I thought it was dumb. I thought it was what? dumb. If you see, you you can definitely see. <laughs> no, no, no. When they walk up as a group, and the camera's on them. Oh, okay, fine. It was a cool shot. It was a dumb scene. Well, I'm just saying it was a cool shot. And then, um, honestly, the uh, the I, I just thought the climactic fight was extraordinarily underwhelming. Um, and the climactic like, fight between the demon Starro. Starro. Yeah, I thought the idea of Starro was really cool. I really appreciate the fact that James Gunn brought Starro into the. Uh, the you know into yeah into dc because (laughs) it's obviously that's just a very different type of of villain um but they didn't make him feel all that powerful um his time on screen wasn't all that memorable and at the end with rat catcher the way that they want are there like i get that she can control all the rats but are there that many rats there i don't (laughs) know Uh, like well, a I, mean, I mean, I, I don't want to pass judgment on this fictional island, but um, it was it looks pretty impoverished. So with with a there was like low a income, billion rats, <laughs> dude. I'm pretty sure there's that many. Um, well, and... I mean, rats did spread the black plague, and look what happened there. That killed okay. a lot of people. <laughs> okay, so I think <laughs> you're kind, that's about... kind of that's kind of nitpicking here. Jason. Nobody brought in the black um... plague, but again, I thought just with the. I don't know. I walked out of that movie with saying there were some cool scenes. There were a couple laughs, but overall, you, it was just. Did you okay. like the Harley Quinn and the President's romance rom com scene? Uh, it was kind of funny, yeah. Dude, you you liked parts of this movie. I never said I didn't. You liked a lot of parts of this movie. I never said I didn't, but again, just because I liked it doesn't mean I loved it, and I did not at all love the movie. I liked it, sure. But I walked out of it way more underwhelmed than I thought I was going to be. What's um, Viola Davis's character? What's her name? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. What is her name? I thought she was great in this movie. I could have done without her. Oh, my goodness. I could have done without her. Did you like Idris in it? Yeah, his character was a, was a unique uh, introduction. I'd like to see... Um, him and uh, Will Smith dead shot together. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. That would be a lot what, of fun. What was the shark guy's name? What What was his like? Well, his name is King Shark. Right. Um, but he I don't is... know. I don't remember what they, they were They didn't call him that, though. No, I don't remember what they were actually calling him. Um, he, he, was, uh, he was the best character, I think. You liked him. What? Yeah, he was the best character. I literally I thought that you didn't like him. No, 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 no. So I, what didn't you like about this movie? We're name. I'm just trying to name stuff, and it seems like you liked all of it. No, no, no. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
just because you can like a movie doesn't mean that you walk away from it going, that was everything that I expected it to be. Truthfully, for the movie itself, what movie is? Well, here, let me, let me tell you. The beach scene was just okay. That was a big part of the movie. Was just okay. The final... That, a, that was a big part. It was like the first, what, 20, 15 minutes? Maybe 10 minutes of it? Okay. It was still a big scene. It was an introduction to the movie and all of these characters. But I liked how they totally undermined it by everyone dying. Because it wasn't a big scene. Okay. Well, it was just okay. And honestly, the final portion from when they got to the tower to the end of the movie was very forgettable. Sure, there were some laughs in there, and there were some, yeah, a couple handful of uh, cool scenes in there. But for the most part, pretty forgettable. The, the middle portion of the movie, the middle like hour, was probably the best part of the movie. But the beginning of the movie was just okay. And the end of the movie was also just okay. But the things that you mentioned, the love scene, the camp, and Harley's was all in the middle of the movie. Everything before and after that was just kind of underwhelming. It just was. I think you're, I think you're holding uh, movies to a high criteria, Jason. Man of right. Steel, hands down better. Whoa! I, I, you know me, Jason. I'm a big Man of Steel fan, but there are definitely flaws to that movie. Hands I feel like down better, more, more enjoyable was this movie for me. Mm-mm. Not even the first close time that me. I watched Man of Steel. Man of Steel, hands down better. Aquaman. I think it, I think it more it goes more so to I like a comedy more, and I feel like this was the funniest DC movie. It was the funniest DC movie, but again, I didn't think a lot of them. There were there were a lot of jokes that didn't land for me. Um, the suit so. Well, maybe you need a bigger landing pad. Snyder, the Snyder Cut, better than this movie. That's not... The Snyder Cut's like three movies. Doesn't matter. It was still released as one movie, so guess what? I bet you it's liked Batman into... v Superman more. You know? I think I did. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> I think I did. I think I did. Um, Wonder Woman, the, the first, first one Wonder Woman was better. Yes. Yeah. The first Wonder Woman was better. Aquaman, I thought was better. You like Shazam more? Ooh, no. Ooh, okay. No. There we go. No, 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 no. And better Shazam than, was a good movie. Better, yeah, it was a good movie, but better, better, again, same thing. Couple cool scenes, but just an okay movie. But I would say The Suicide Squad was, was better than that. I would put The Suicide Squad exactly where I would put Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, that's not good. Well, at least in terms of where I put... Because I think the second Guardians gets a little too much hate. It's just a little too the, much. Because the first one was so good. The first one was very good. But that doesn't mean that the second one in its own right wasn't good. And I think it just gets... I think the second one gets way more hate than it deserves. Um, I think because it, it didn't lead to anything. It was like a side mission, almost. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Uh, where would yeah, you, So where, where would you put the Guardians to, then? Where where are you putting this? Like I'd I'd probably say just like right outside the top ten. So how many how many DC movies are there? So I'm looking at it right now, in or at least I have a list up in front of me. Um, 
And oh, this is labeled as the Suicide Squad two. That's not the second Suicide Squad. I mean, it technically is. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, it is and it isn't. Um, so Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman two, Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, Suicide so there's Squad, 11. Justice League, Aquaman, Shazam. Oh, Birds of Prey. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's eleven, and you said it was outside the top ten. I no, I was more ta- I was more talking about <laughs> the. Um, I thought you were saying like comparing it the way that I was comparing like Guardians. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but I liked the first Wonder Woman better. I liked Man of Steel better. Heck, I like I even liked Batman vs Superman a little bit better. The so Snyder what did cut. What would you, what would you put this ahead of? I think that would be an easier. I'd put it ahead of, of I'd put it ahead of Shazam. I'd put it obviously ahead of the first Suicide Squad. Definitely ahead of uh, Wonder Woman two. Um, yeah. I'd put it ahead of Birds of Prey. Um, mm-hmm. I'd put it ahead of the original Justice League by far. Um, mm-hmm. And then probably hang out right around there, like right in the middle. So what is that seven? Yeah, so what well, six or seven? Like right in the middle, right? In the I think middle. I think it'd easily be top five for me. I'd put I would go Wonder Woman's ahead of it. Um, Zack Snyder Justice League's ahead of it. Aquaman. It's right around Aquaman for me. It's either three or it's four. Well, see, one scene in Aquaman to me was better than any scene in Suicide Squad, like hands down. Um, and it was that that fight scene between him and um, what was it like Black Mantis? What was his What was his name? Um, Black Mantis shot the beams out of his eyeballs. Right. So yeah. So it was in the fight between him and and uh, or Black Manta was that his? I think it was Black Manta. Um, doesn't really matter. Um, but between him and the main villain. Um, well, him and the main well, guess, villain is guess, uh, Ocean yeah, something or whatever. Ocean Master or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is actually Ocean Master. Um, is so, it on the ship when they're fighting with the? No, Trident? it's on. It's it, it's on a. It's on land, and it's like one long like camera shot, um, and they're running along these buildings and. Yeah, that's was, that's Black Mantis. Yeah, Black that Mantis. that fight was amazing, um, and to me that was cooler than any fight scene in the Suicide Squad. Um, I guess what wh- what did you think was better, the most recent Black Widow, the most recent Marvel movie, or the most recent DC movie? Oh, I think Suicide. I haven't. Okay, I haven't seen Black Widow, so I can't really answer that. Oh, you haven't. I haven't seen Black Widow. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Why have you not seen Black Widow? Why would I? Because I too busy what? seeing Free Guy, baby. Let's go. Why would? Why have you not seen Black Widow? <laughs> I just got. This is the first time I went to the, or the second time I went to the movie theaters since, in like two years. Yeah, but it's been out for a while now. Well, I had to go see the Suicide Squad, and I took Jenna to see a Marvel movie before we went and saw Captain Marvel, and that didn't really work out so well. Well, Captain Marvel's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go see Black Widow. Do you think Black Widow is better than the Suicide Squad? I they're they're like neck and neck for okay. me. I think critically, the Suicide Squad is doing better. Um, a little bit, but the Black Widow was at an eighty 
on Rotten Tomatoes than a 91 with fans. Um, mm. So it's doing really well, too. I enjoyed Black Widow as well. Um, breaking, um, the Mets just beat the Giants in extra innings. Oh, there you go. So Steve Cohen, there you go. Now you have something to tweet happily about. I, I guess it wasn't out of bounds for him to say that. It was just what they needed. Maybe not. Um, all right. Well, we just hit our hour and a half mark. So thank you again for everybody who's, uh, who listened to this episode. I really enjoyed this episode. I knew this was going to be a good episode, but the, I thought the beginning of the show was a lot of fun. We never got to um, what our favorite te- what teams we would be rooting for if uh, – if we weren't rooting for our current team. So we'll have to do that maybe maybe on episode 100. Maybe episode 100 will be just a bunch of like random games or something. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out when we get there, but we'll get to that eventually. That's something we can archive away and and do literally any show. So um yeah. So thank you guys so much for uh for listening. We really do appreciate it and uh, we will see you all for episode 99 next week. 99. Thanks everyone.